0: Ladies and gents, welcome back to HTO, we have an absolute spectacular for you. We're again joined by two guests, um, and look, we can't say there's favourites, we look forward to every episode, but I think my co-host and I have looked forward to this one for a while, particularly my co-host, um, we're joined by Glenn Wheeler, who's a graduate of East Anglia University, who's going to be firing some questions at our special guest. We're joined by the one and only HTO Galactica himself. Mr. Peter Drury, Andrew, you must be buzzing for this one.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those Sundays, isn't it? Really, just if Carlsberg did Sundays, um, yeah, and/or think... other and/or
0: other beverages are available. Yeah, obviously. or herbal
1: herbal teas, anything you know like that. But um, no, just some some classic memories down the years of growing up as a child, fell in, falling in love with the game for many reasons, and uh, Peter was definitely one of them. So really looking forward to it.
2: Well, lovely thing to say. Thanks, Andrew, and really good
0: to be with you. And we'll slip you that, you know, he'll slip you that money later, Andrew, for, for being so kind. <laughs> yeah. um, before we throw it to yourself, Peter, Glenn, are you looking forward to this one as well?
3: Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, like you say, it's a, it's a privilege speaking to you, Peter. You know, uh, just the way you have with words and um, as an aspiring commentator myself, you know, I look, I look up to certain commentators, of course, and, and you're definitely one of them. So, yeah, really, really excited for this.
2: Nice to yeah, Me too. We'll have a good chat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> look... We, we we get a manner of guests and we've been very fortunate to have some sort of very famed players and, and, and people connected to the game. But we did want to ask, where does it start? Where did it start for you? Where did commentary start? Was it something you always wanted to do? We, we, we had Gary Lewin and we said he said, well, not really. He wanted to be a player and he wasn't very good. And he was the yeah. backup goalkeeper for Arsenal and he just sort of fell into the physiotherapy <laughs> and all doing yeah. all he could to help. What about you? Where did your journey start with football?
2: Listen, I, I, I honestly believe, Tom, that almost anyone who is connected in any way to football started out in some small way wanting to be a player, didn't they? <laughs> we all wanted to be a player. However, in Neps, we actually turned out to be. When you first connect with football, what thrills you most is the prospects of playing the game. Now, in common with the very great majority of the population, it was very quickly evident. And I mean, very quickly evident. (laughs) I was never going to be a player. Um, And we already have in common, those of us on this call now, that uh, we understand that if you can't play, the next best thing is to talk about it. And, And... as a very young boy, I started talking about it, you know, uh, and again, it's not unique in any sense. Millions have done it down the years. You know, I began commentating on everything. And and I was of an age where Sabutio was the thing. And I crawled around my bedroom floor playing Sabutio and commentating on it. And, um, you know, I, I used to commentate on doing my household chores and I used to commentate on you know walking to the shops and seeing if I could overtake the the lady who was 20 yards in front of me and beating her at the line like Co no vet you know <laughs> um and and so um I I suppose it, it was something in in a sense I always did but don't get me wrong that wasn't in any sort of aspirational or or career-minded way um it, it never occurred to me that I'd actually One day use commentating as a job and a means of paying my bills absolutely you, you, you just
0: threw me back there and obviously in the last few weeks we lost another fantastic orator of, of, of sports in, in Murray Walker mm. and I remember you just said Sabutio and it just threw me back to my <laughs> um, living room floor being awash of just two things one would be huge Sabutio board I say board because we'd we'd, we'd map and tack down the, the, the you know the green the felt onto the board and another one would be the scale electrics kit and I think I just <laughs> sort of hover between the two you know <laughs> and comment into, commentating it in that way but you're right it sort of takes you there doesn't it yeah so
1: Was there there a moment where you're sitting with your mates in the pub, Peter, and one of them thought, you know what, you've got the voice for commentary, (laughs) uh,
2: not Not really. No, (laughs) because, I mean, you you, you don't think those thoughts, Andrew, do you? Um, My my little breakthrough really was was in cricket, funnily enough, and I was in my final year at university, uh, so we're talking 87, 88, and... um, an advertisement appeared in one of the Sunday newspapers for the start of a service called cricket call, um, which was, you know, this seems like a different generation, I suppose it was, you know, where you could ring a premium number and get commentary on your County playing cricket. And I'm a great cricket fan. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, i give, give that a whirl. And and I got a few days work as a sort of relief for the main man commentating on Kent play, playing cricket. Kent was, and still is my, my County. Um, and so that's the first time I earned any money for it. And it's the first time it really occurred to me that maybe if I got very lucky, you know, I, I might be able to make a living out of it. But I, you know, when I graduated, I was an accountant to start with, a training accountant. And um, I had to take a gamble or two to, to get lucky. And, I, and I've just been immensely lucky, really. Mm.
1: First first game is a first game life? As well... <sighs>
2: As a fan now, that's I mean, that's another interesting story, because I grew up in a household that wasn't a football household at all. My dad didn't take me to football. You know, I didn't start going to football live until I was a student. Um, And I I grew up from a distance with West Ham as my team, which, truthfully, it isn't now. But um, be careful. Be careful careful where you are today. I'm not getting exactly. I'm not going. I'm not going uh, in any particular direction with that. But but I followed it all on television and radio, and I suppose I had um, a fascination with the broadcasting of football as much as with football itself, which which I suppose plays into the whole narrative. But uh, I didn't start going to live football until, as a student, I went to Hull University, and I used to use my student grant to go and watch Hull City play at home. And then when I came back home to Kent, I used to go and watch Gillingham play um and that you know so i didn't start going to football till i was 18 19 years old
0: mm. just wow. for the just for the uh, awareness of our listeners there um the reference was made to uh peter's long long ago ties to west ham but that's because he's joining us live from the london stadium <laughs> ahead of west ham arsenal so uh, hence our hence are saying would well, be careful if he said he's had <laughs> any ties there
2: um, <laughs>
0: yeah. impartiality i'm sure ahead of the game
2: um, certainly, certainly, uh, those so, types have long since gone.
0: <laughs> how did you? How did you move from Kent, four through the covers, today commentary into the world then of football? Um, how? What? How did that move happen?
2: Well, as, as I say, I, I I just had an immense amount of luck. Actually, I, I like everybody graduating in 1988. You know, it was a very different age, and and there was a job for you as a graduate, to be honest. Which, as as my kids generation are finding out now there isn't necessarily uh, these days but I I did what everybody did and became a trainee accountant because I couldn't think of what else to do and um, I wasn't especially good at it Um, and after a month or so I realised I couldn't hack it you know I just wasn't happy and I thought um, I'm going to have a crack at getting not necessarily into commentary but certainly into sports journalism and so I started writing letters and I handed in my notice to the Excellent accountancy firm I was working for. Um, and uh, I um, then went through three or four pretty torturous months, perhaps longer, of getting rejections because I had no qualification, I had no reason for anybody to take me on except that I was keen and I suppose I had a degree, but not in anything particularly pertinent. Um, And and then I I got a chance with the Haters Sports Reporting Agency, which still exists now and has always Mm. been legendary and a a lot of the sort of Fleet Street's finest have come through it. Um, And and I got work with them and eventually I got a full-time job with them. And then uh, after a year or two of that, I applied for my first job in broadcasting, which was with uh, BBC Radio Leeds. And I was very lucky to be in Leeds uh, when Leeds won the title Mm. in 92 uh, and uh, you know I cut my teeth interviewing Howard Wilkinson which was a tough gig uh, because he was a hard man but it was also a great gig because um, as well as Leeds and you know we had Cantona and we had a you know a, a title winning team and all that you know I, I cut my teeth commentating on Bradford City and Huddersfield Town and Halifax Town in the old fourth division um, and making mistakes you know at a, at a relatively low profile uh, level uh, and local radio is brilliant for that. And local radio really needs to survive and thrive mm. because it's a great service, but also because it, it, it enables people to develop. Um, and, and those were those were really great days um, and and such a such a underpinning feature of, of the career I've been lucky enough to have. And then I was fortunate I was sort of one of the next uh, cabs off the rank when Five Live began you know, right at the very beginning of Five Live in the early 90s, um, I was kind of into that. And so that was another lucky break. Um, and then telly happened in 98. Brian Moore, great legendary commentator of ITV, uh, said that the World Cup would be his last. And they had to recruit someone in behind Clive Tilsley. And that person was me. So, mm. you know, it, it's one thing after another, right time, right place. And, mm. um, you yeah, know, I'm a lucky boy.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously thrust you into this, amazing career that you've had and you've had some obviously we're going to we what we'd love to do with you peter is to sort of deep dive really into some of your uh, um, uh incredible okay. moments we've asked our twitter followers to sort of chip in with some additions we had some ourselves which we'll tap, touch into later and what we i think what we like about these choices is they kind of represent all the different reasons why i'm assuming you love the sport i mean if we firstly let's let's start off with the one that's just become the whole you know <laughs> the roma oh, yeah. <laughs> Kind of rivers them from their ruins. I mean, I'm not. I'm not even going to try and um, try and <laughs> replicate it. It would be uh, yeah, well. Be
2: a... That one, um, obviously, I've talked about a lot, and 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 I have to say to you, it's a freak. Um, you know, it really is a freak. It was a. It was an alignment of planets, which was so lucky. Um, what you have to remember about that day is that Liverpool were playing Man City. Mm. You know, Roma against Barcelona was by a street. The second game. You know, nobody in the UK was remotely interested in Rome against Barcelona. Barcelona were three goals ahead. That was done and dusted. I went along to the Olympic Stadium that night, utterly relaxed, mm. in the knowledge that I'm a lucky boy. I'm going to watch Messi play in the Olympic Stadium, Rome. It's all fun. Somebody's paying me to do this. It's springtime. Um, and what's the problem? Uh, And so people say to me, you must be mighty prepared for that moment. I don't think I've ever been as unprepared because, you know, it it simply wasn't going to happen. And it wasn't until um, Roma got to within one goal that it suddenly dawned on me, shucks, you know, if they score again, this is quite something. And this all coincided talking about the alignment of planets. this all coincided with the Liverpool Man City tie going dead, Mm. you know that Liverpool had got through, City were gone, it was all over and people turned over Mm. because there was a more exciting game on the other side, which wasn't meant to happen. Uh, And then, God bless him, Manola scores this goal. Mm. And and people quote back to me, you know, Roma have risen from the ruins. Roma have risen from their ruins was a direct result of the fact that a big centre-half in a melee of players got a flick header at the near post and I didn't have a clue who'd scored. And so I, I had to come up with a line to, to cover for two or three seconds yeah. waiting for the director to show me Manalas peeling away. Mm. Um, and um, so that's what came out. And it's... Listen, it, whatever I say, if I, if I say it's brilliant, then people, you know, that's arrogant. And I don't believe it's brilliant. I believe it's a freak. But... Um, it's also it can, be both.
0: it can be very much be both Peter. Well it can yeah, be a freaking the... still absolutely brilliant as but, it was but,
2: but it can but it can also sound like kind of false modesty but all I'm saying is that that might not have happened. Some, something something mm. something weird took over and if, if you actually examine the words I used afterwards and you know your Greek gods and Roman Seven Hills of Rome and all whatever the other Tosh was the it, it's um I mean it's nonsense. <laughs> not <laughs> actually there was like, There's some sort of
1: parallels with that. When I listened to you there talk about the fact that it it was dead, but as the game progressed, it obviously became more realistic that this could be pulled off. And it's a little bit like with the Tyler and the Aguero goal, where all of a sudden City are just out of it. Like There's no way they're going to go on and win the league. They're they're, they're losing the game with five minutes to go. So there's that element of sort of, you've almost planned for something, but then it obviously changes and then...
2: Yeah. Well, it's it's, it's interesting that the, the... Um, comparison or contrast between those two because I I did the City thing as well for the the Mm. global audience Um, and the difference between those two and I always say this to young commentators say to what extent do you prepare for a moment and I always say never ever script anything that's going to happen in the game have something ready for before the game you know the players are going to walk out you know there's going to be in normal times a roar of the crowd you know everything up to kickoff can be a set piece. Mm. And I make no apology for preparing for that, for having words ready for that. It seems to be obvious. Cristiano Ronaldo hits 100 dead balls a day because he knows he's going to have a shot at goal from 25 yards. Mm. Um, But never, ever prepare for something that might happen in the game because whatever you write won't quite hit it because there's going to be some nuance. Mm. And that Manchester City Day, and I'm not comparing myself to Martin who did a wonderful job on that, but that Manchester City Day... I think any commentator was ready for the final whistle to blow. Because all that had to happen that day was Man City had to beat QPR. Mm. That was obviously going to happen. Yeah. You know, it wasn't a difficult game. Man City had to beat QPR, and on the final whistle, you were going to have some words which effectively said, and Manchester City are champions. Mm. Now, if you had used those words, it would have sounded pathetic. Because it that just didn't do justice to yeah. the manner in which Manchester City became champions. And so to to, to have preconceived that. or Well, the clever thing that day was not not to have prepared words because you were entitled to believe that Man City would win 3-0 and we were just waiting for the final whistle. Mm. But the clever thing to do that day was to disregard the words you'd written and realise mm. in the moment, for goodness sake, don't go anywhere near that script because you're mm. going to sound stupid. Yes. Um, even though the script, strictly speaking, was right because Manchester City were champions. And so I suppose in those moments and going back to the Roma one, it's a it's a kind of um, allowing the shackles to come off and to just trust yourself. Um, and, and that's the dangerous bit, really, because it's like throwing yourself out of an airplane, um, mm. because if, if you get it wrong, when you commit to it, to that degree mm. would be horrible.
1: I suppose that Roma goal was obviously one of the, the reason why we all love football is when you see a team that's down and out like a boxer you know they're on the ropes yes. and they come back and win. I guess the next one we wanted to look at and delve into was the sort of the South Africa moment. Mm. Um Bafana Bafana again yeah. a, a slightly a completely different reason why you love football, right?
2: Yeah, well, I, I... Honestly, that's my favourite of, of, in terms of occasions, I never like to measure these things by me. It's Again, it sounds like terrible false modesty and cliche, but nobody ever tunes in for the commentator. It is about the football match, and it's about the moment. And going to that football match that day was such an incredible privilege. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, and I, again, I, I, I hate saying it in a way, because it sounds as if I'm trying to put some halo on and, and being something I'm really not, but Honestly, to see black and white people arm in arm in Johannesburg, walking into that ground, sharing the moment. And I, I think it was the most important football match I've ever been to in that sense, in a global sense. You know, there was a there was a, a to, the, the planet felt as though it came together that day. And if you could bottle the, the unity of that occasion, you know, the, and, and, and vaccinated into everyone. Um, you know, the world would be a better place. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a beautiful, beautiful day. And um, when Shabalala scores his goal, it's just the embodiment of that day. And Mm -hmm. this is a boy who grew up underneath a corrugated iron roof in Soweto. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a... And suddenly, the whole world is his... And it's the only goal that I've been fortunate enough to describe that still today, more than 10 years on, makes the hairs go on the back of my neck nothing Mm -hmm. to do with what I said at all but just to do with the purity of that sporting moment you know it's it's beyond anything else I've experienced and at the time I welled up and just felt this is this is incredible Mm -hmm. this is this is a beautiful beautiful thing and if I could have one moment back in my career and do it again Mm -hmm. that would be it yeah. Wow.
1: The golf, yeah. golf for all Africa as well. Was that was that something you had kind of think? of oh, South Africa score this evening,
2: um, possibly. Possibly. I mean, it is more than a decade ago, um, but there was a sense in that World Cup, and uh, you, you know, you'll remember the narrative. There was a sense in which this wasn't about South Africa. This yeah. was about all of Africa. Mm. Africa had the World Cup at last, you know. Mm. And there was the famous quote. Was it from uh, Pele or whatever? Was it Pele who said, you know? an African nation will win the World Cup in my lifetime or something like that. Mm, yeah. Anyway, there, this, there was the sense that this was Africa's moment. Um, and I, I suppose it kind of works linguistically that line. You know, if, if the World Cup had been held in Senegal, that line wouldn't have worked. Just saying, goal for Senegal, goal for all Africa. You know, it doesn't work. But because, the, because that country happens to be called South Africa, I guess that possibility opened up. Yeah. could use it. <laughs> yeah.
1: We've got a couple of... Uh, we're obviously, we're big Arsenal fans, as we don't really... We never fail to hide. Um, <laughs> we but Tom and I have both got sort of an Arsenal moment, really, that we'd just love to kind of re- sort of reflect on with you. I mean, Tom, what kick-off of your classic night in Madrid?
0: Well, the Madrid night, you know, Thierry Henry. Oh, how, sure. how can we be anywhere else? How can we be anywhere else? What are your memories of that night?
2: My memories of that goal are that uh, I think... I fortunately didn't get it wrong per se, but I remember being halfway through some news breaking. Didn't somebody get badly injured in that game? And I was halfway through an update from the touchline about somebody being injured when Blessing started on his little wriggle oh, towards the goal. Yeah. yeah. And so I remember when I watch it back, feeling sometimes a bit cold, the prospect that I, you know, I might not have caught that call up at all. And that would have been a shame. It was a great moment. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but... Uh, I was. What year was that?
0: Six, two thousand yeah,
2: six. Yeah, yeah. Arsenal's run to the run to the final. Final, yeah. You see, it's funny how you, you change. Um, what I remember that night is feeling very, very nervous because I was that much younger. It was still relative. I mean, you know, I'd been at ITV seven or eight years by then, and mm-hmm. I, I suppose I'd done a few nights of that type, but it felt like a very big night to me. And actually, I, I was. Um, I had had major butterflies that night. I think it's the first time I'd certainly. You and me
0: both, Peter, for different reasons. (laughs) I mean, I wasn't live on TV (laughs) or anything like that, but we're in the van
2: about. Yeah, but you know, it was one of those, one of those very, um, very, very lucky to be there nights. Yeah, Yeah. it really was. Um, So, uh, yeah, special, special. Right. yeah I suppose like per- a, a, a
1: spe- one of those moments where you, you're another reason why we fall in love with the game watching just watching greatness at the same time and we talk about uh, the same club a few years earlier um, one of my favourite pieces that you've ever done on Arsenal uh, is the we, we were playing Bolton at home in the invincible season Peter yeah. um, we raced into a two goal lead and your commentary for the second goal where Perez just curls it in from 25 yards um, I don't know if you can recall the do you do they do ordinary
2: I hit that rings a bell. Yeah, I loved that. I loved that season. Actually, I, yeah. and I, and I, I mean, you know, who didn't enjoy that Arsenal season? Uh, yeah. Apart from probably Tottenham fans, um, you know, it it was a it was a beautiful team to describe. You know, mm. the, every player kind of lent himself to words, and and mm. and they didn't do ordinary, did they? And they scored some beautiful goals. You know, Bergkamp. I mean, goodness me, that bloke mm. is was poetry in motion and, and they're beautiful i mean i i remember being fortunate enough to be there on the last day when the you know they went behind to leicester didn't they <laughs> which, was, which did. wasn't to, which wasn't meant to happen I remember, I the last day of the season <laughs> yeah. I, I was it's i awesome. was sitting in the north bank and i was sitting in the north bank and
0: i was just like unless we come out if we just don't score in the next 45 minutes we won't go and beat it i mean yeah. don't get me wrong but yeah the confidence round was just like yeah but it will happen because yeah we were that much better
2: um, I remember. Yeah. I remember the lovely pictures of. Uh, didn't Martin Keown need to come on to get his medal? Yes. Yeah, and yeah. And and Arsene Wenger, who wasn't a great slapstick. I mean, he was a great, great manager. Of course, but he wasn't a great slapstick. He didn't go in for bans, did he? Mm. But he 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 allowed himself to go through the process of um, pretending to send on another substitute, which mm. would mean that Martin Keown wouldn't get on for his medal. Mm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which which kind of shows just how relaxed Arsenal were. Once I think they were he was. Ahead.
1: I think he was being subbed on for the last three or four games at about 85. Yeah, yeah. in so the last yeah. four fixtures, he was yeah. just coming yeah. on just to grab a Yeah, middle. You mentioned there, yeah. Peter, as well, about that Arsenal side that sort of had all sorts of characters in it. And I wonder, where do they rank in PL history for you? Because if you look at someone like Man City, there's, they've probably got four or five players, haven't they, in that side that sort of do that one thing amazingly well.
2: Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like yeah.
1: Foden, yeah. Bernardo Silva, David Silva, yeah. Mares, you know, they're all very technically just gifted, aren't they? Whereas that Arsenal side had literally everything, didn't it? Does that, do they, do they yeah. sort of stand out for you?
2: Uh, well, they do stand out. They do stand out. Um, I, I have to say in parallel to this Manchester City team because, because mm. there, 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 was, um, there was a point of separation between Arsenal and the rest, just in the mm. same way as there's a point of separation now, in my view, between Manchester City and the rest. Mm. Arsenal were, were just playing football of a type that mm. the others couldn't reach and they were playing football of um, a type that was almost impossibly beautiful mm. you know <laughs> and yeah. and though you, and, and i think city are doing that now to be honest to to a point of and i mean this in the most flattering way to a point of monotony city you know oh, they maybe. can they can pass and move in in a way that others just can't cope with so there's there's almost an inevitability about every outcome with city mm. even you know we we're, we're speaking on a sunday morning after a saturday night when City appeared to be pushed by Everton, but in the end, in you know, in the cup quarter final again, that really, really mattered to Everton. Absolutely full throttle, and in the end, City pass and pass and pass and pass, and eventually they score. And then when they score, the other lot have to chase it, and they score again. You know, and and um, I think you you can draw some pretty clear <clears throat> parallels with Arsenal. Of course, Arsenal's formidable defence. You might argue. Is something that sets them apart, even from City now. But I mean, City's defense is is pretty remarkable too. It's still pretty, um, still pretty but, stunning. Yeah, yeah. But the, I mean, the, the, just the beautiful players. Obviously, obviously, the beautiful players—Pires and Bergkamp and Henri. The, the, these are supreme athletes. And and in a sense, you guys, as Arsenal fans, who were were in formative years, I guess then, you know, those those are those are the memories that you'll carry through your entire life. Mm. In a sense, those memories have spoilt you because Mm -hmm. it might never be like that. I mean, you dream that one day there'll be another Arsenal team to set alongside that team. But sorry to break it to you, it might not happen. because well, I mean, we, we so look at
0: that period. Uh, I, I do anyway. As, as as almost slightly, and it's like I say, embarrassment of Richard slightly under um, underachieving across that ten-year period. So, you know, um, you know, you think from sort of 97, 98 for the next ten years, very fortunate to win the league three times. But you just wonder whether we could have done it, um, could have done a bit more. I, I, before we throw it to Glen for a few questions, I wanted to ask. Um, you, you said your your line about Rome was a freak. Um, I wanted to ask whether you, there's A moment in commentary that's not yours that you actually think is just perfect that match the occasion. I'm thinking, Prime, I'm thinking it's up for grabs now. I'm thinking, whatever it may be, um, is there something that stands out for you? It's
2: up for grabs now, absolutely is, because it's totally authentic, it's totally of the moment.
0: Hmm.
2: Um, Am I allowed to go to another sport? You are absolutely. Yeah. I I think the greatest piece of modern commentary, I mean, bang up to date, I've heard was Ian Smith, the New Zealander, on England winning the Cricket World Cup.
0: Oh, mm. brilliant! Yeah,
2: absolutely sensational. Yeah. You know, because a in his heart of hearts he's gutted, he is yeah. gutted, and to come up with that in that moment yeah. with such neutrality, and to come up with a set of words, and England have won it by the merest of margins, they the margin? by the of the merest of whatever. Yeah. I mean, that is absolutely fantastic. And by the way, if you if you hear one or two other versions of that moment, he trusted himself that the guy was run out. You know, it wasn't a done deal that. He, with his bare eyes, he decided it was out and it was going to go to the old, you know, uh, fourth umpire or third umpire, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he just went for it. And he described that moment utterly from the heart, superb.
0: You're right, actually. He's like ecstasy for England, agony for New Zealand. You know, yeah. and you're right as well, because I don't know if you've seen the video footage of him as well doing it at the time, literally almost collapsing on his um, commentator desk yes. as he says it. He just fantastic sporting yeah. drama. I remember. Um, probably driving slightly too fast, obviously, within the speed limit, driving too fast, slightly home from the British Grand Prix that day because I'd gone to the British yes. Grand Prix. And I was like, well, there's no, you know, I'd listen to the radio to the England cricket. And it's like, well, we're chasing quite a modest total. We should easily get that. And then the drama was just building on the radio. And I got in about four overs before the end. So I managed to see the end and obviously the super over. And you're right, absolutely phenomenal.
2: Yeah, country. brilliant, brilliant. What a great sport that was. Yeah, the Wimbledon final out there as well, wasn't Wimbledon it? Wimbledon final, yes. Formula
0: One. <laughs> And yeah, and that cricket World Cup final—not a bad trilogy, not a bad trilogy. Talking about trilogy, Andrew and I have obviously been throwing some questions at you, but Glenn's going to put you under the spotlight now. So almost as good as that day.
3: (laughs) Hi Peter, you're right. Um, Yeah, so just a few questions for myself, really. Um, Mix up the order slightly because we've been talking about obviously great moments of commentary and the things that they all have in common are obviously there were crowds in yeah in the venue. Right, so I was just wondering, what those, my kind of first question is how the pandemic has actually affected the art of commentary now? Like, does the lack of kind of an energy and an atmosphere make it that much more difficult?
2: Certainly makes it very different, Ben. It really does. Um, we, we've come to appreciate how reliant we are on a crowd, actually. Way back at the start, when we restarted last June, um, we did as commentators have conversations. How are we going to do this? If, if you think about the reasons for a commentator hitting a climax as the ball goes in the net and on the whole raising his or her voice and, and becoming excited, it's just to be in tune with 30, 40, 50,000 others. You raise your voice because otherwise you wouldn't be heard. Now you then have to ask yourself the question, why am I shouting? There's nobody else here. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't need to shout. And, and of course you then continue the conversation with yourself and realise that as a fan at home, the expectation is that you'd show some excitement when the ball goes in and there, but it has, it has felt very, uh, false at times. Um, and you feel almost as though you're acting now, as opposed to feeling it because, because the, the reason for the reaction doesn't exist in quite the same way, except insofar as you're still wrapped up in the sport and mercifully, oh. the fact that, that television has, has been able to keep showing football as, and that's considered a a benefit for the nation means that we've continued all of us to invest as football fans in the products. I hate that word product in the, in the sport. Um, So, um, you know, I've I've talked myself around in circles here, but what I'm saying is you feel like a slightly inadequate soloist who's Mm. horribly exposed because there's no choir behind you. You know, there's, you feel like a a solo band member and the band has crept off without you noticing. And and yeah, you, you feel a bit, a bit empty, but listen, I'm not complaining. A because the football's carrying on, and B because I know how massively, ridiculously privileged I am, you know, to be at the ground watching it.
3: Of course, uh, what, uh, what I guess you know the viewers don't see, obviously, is or hear rather, is, is the intense amount of preparation that all, all the professional commentators do. Yeah. So, when you're preparing for a game, what do your kind of notes cover, um, and how much football do you have to watch during a week to kind of stay on top of? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's at, at,
2: at the moment keeping up with the football is it, quite a challenge because as you know every day is a game day yeah. um, and so whilst as a football fan i would naturally i'm sure you're the same kind of if there's a game on i tend to watch it anyway yeah. um but um as a football broadcaster or professional you you have to be uh I guess, wary of making sure you're watching the right ones or recording them or watching them back because obviously being aware of what happened last time is key to that preparation. Um, most of the preparation happens at a desk, you know, Monday to Friday or, I mean, I say every game's a game day at the moment. Every day's a game day. So, uh, you know, some days are a major preparation day and a game day. Um, for me, every match I always say, on average, is about eight hours at the desk. So, um, clearly, three quarters of the way into the Premier League season, if if I'm doing, as I am today, West Ham against Arsenal, I'm fairly conversant with West Ham and Arsenal. Fairly. I haven't done Arsenal fun enough for a couple of months, so I've had to sort of rejig things on them. Um, so maybe I've only spent five hours at the desk on this one, but then last week I did a couple of Champions League games and one or two of Lazio I hadn't done for two years. So... Um, you know, I might have spent 15 hours on that one because you're from scratch and you're dealing with players that you're less familiar with. Do an FA Cup first round tie involving Hampton and Richmond, and you know, there isn't even the stuff online to see. And, go, and, go to and, Richmond. That. and uh, by the way, I love those, I love those because to be honest, West Ham against Arsenal, you lot will sit down and you might be able to hear in the background, Martin Tyler's doing a mic test about 10 yards away from me. Um, he he. He will tell the story of the game brilliantly, as he always does. But um, truth be told, there's not a lot he can tell you about West Ham and Arsenal. You know, you know. And so it's just a case of kind of following the narrative. Whereas Mm. if you do a nice early rounds FA Cup tie or a Champions League tie involving Dinamo somebody, you know, you've got to um, learn them. And you've got something to tell people that they don't already know, which I find quite satisfying.
3: Yeah, of course. And in terms of that that player identification as well, and working out who the players are, obviously with the pandemic as well, I guess there's a lot more studio-based commentary. I mean, player identification can be difficult enough as it is. Um, yeah. How much harder is it to do it, sat in the studio behind the screen? Well, to cut it down
2: let, let me tell you, Glenn, it's much harder.
3: Uh, and, and I find it really,
2: for, for all sorts of reasons, so much less satisfying doing it sat in a, a booth because you, you can't feel the game in the same way. Um, but you're right. Also, the nuts and bolts are that much mm. tougher, particularly identification. And actually, the uh, hour leading up to kickoff is absolutely key. Watching the players warm up. Um, Doing Dinamo Zagreb the other night against Tottenham, you know, the, the bloke who scored the goals had yellow boots. Yeah. And thank goodness he did because, you know, as he came wriggling through to complete his hatchery there, the only way I knew it was him was because his boots were yellow. Um, and, and fortunately, they shared out nice coloured boots to Dino Zagreb the other night, which really, which really helped me out. And, and oddly enough, the closest I came to a major player gaffe on um, Thursday night was getting Kane and Bale mixed up. So there you are. Too much... <laughs> but again, that's because, you know, you, you get a snapshot of them in the moment. And, um, you know, if the ball had flown in, I could have had egg on my face. What, you know, Spurs fans might wish it had. But there you are.
3: And of course, then you've got you can't actually see the whole pattern of play emerge. Exactly. You're focused on literally, you know, you see what we see as punters watching the game, half a pitch. Whereas obviously, we all know when we go to live football, the whole shape of the game shapes the football match.
2: Yeah, well, that that is exactly true as well. You you can't working out the shape of a team is sometimes hard. You're reliant on a on a director who you don't know. You're not in contact with to to show you stuff that he doesn't always. And also, especially in these days of VAR, can be really difficult because you get a borderline offside goal. You go through the whole shenanigans of of getting excited about the goal, and then you wonder about it, and you haven't had the angle you need, and and you're you're just guessing. you you're no further forward than than a viewer and and in a sense it is partly your job to be a little bit further forward than a viewer so it, it's been my policy if I'm honest just to let the the, the story play out there's nothing mm. there's no point guessing anymore I mean in fact there's more point guessing if you're you sat at home and and hoping it's a goal or hoping it's not a goal you're entitled to do that you're on the you're on the settee with a can of lager and you you know you you, you can say what you want um, and hope what you want. But if, if you're supposed to be describing it, you can only get it wrong. So the best thing is just to wait, and somebody says no goal, and you say no goal. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And with reference to kind of the whole art of commentary, with how, say, social media has exploded and now everything's 24 seven, do you feel that the actual art itself is becoming less about? say, describing the action on the pitch and his tending have become a bit more sensationalist almost, more about football in a, a wider context?
2: It can, it can do. I mean, truthfully, Glenn, I think the most important thing we do as commentators is say the names of the players. That's what it is. At, at its absolute basics, um, it's about telling you who's got the ball. That That's what it's about. And everything else on top of that is embroidery of, of some sort or another. I, I'm, I'm a great believer. It is my opinion that the commentator, as in me, person who does my job, shouldn't have an opinion. It's not my job to have an opinion. It's my job to deal with facts. Now, the bloke sat next to me might be a former international or a former manager. It's his job to have the opinion. My job is simply to tell you what's happening. Um, now, listen, there, there are shades of grey. And don't get me wrong, if somebody scores a brilliant goal, and I shout brilliant goal, that in a sense is expressing an opinion that that goal is brilliant. But it, but in, in the broader terms, for instance, the other night, I don't think it was my job to say how poorly or otherwise Tottenham were playing. That was Jermaine Genis' job. Mm. Um, it was my job simply they were, they to describe were, they were, they. what was That's going on thing. in the...
0: The yeah they were game. they really were playing poorly that was the thing wasn't it? so <laughs> obviously so i wouldn't have been i wouldn't have been you know surprised if you had to chip in if anyone did, I didn't have to say god this is awful sorry i just just I know, to did, it, did it even have to
2: be said though really oh, <laughs> you, know. you can say that i couldn't possibly comment <laughs>
3: <laughs> obviously we've we've heard about kind of how you how you got into it peter but in terms of nowadays for young a starring commentator um in the present day how how would someone go about you know getting into the industry because it's not like there were job vacancies kind of no. posted on job boards and everything i mean it seems very very difficult
2: it really is glenn and and um in a sense that was always the case you know mm. it's 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 no uh, different really to when i got my lucky breaks i all i would say to your generation, is that you do have platforms where somehow you can put your your wares out there. You can show what your talents are, um, and all you can do is practice, record, do it yourself, send it to people, put it online if you feel courageous enough to do that. And I know that putting stuff online can be, uh, in itself, a pretty terrifying thing these days because the social media platforms can be. Unforgivingly cruel. Um, and if you believe in yourself and you really um, have the humility to learn and the, and, the, and the courage to sort of stay out there in an in industry which does scrutinize you uh, painfully closely at times, then um, there's a lot of fun to be had doing it. And the, the, the biggest advice I, I would say is remember why you're doing it. And that is to say you're doing it because A, you love the sport and B, you love the exercise of broadcasting to, to anyone who wants to do it because they want in some sense to be well known or, or quotes famous. I would say to you that from my perspective, that is the least attractive part of the job. If I could do the job in private, I would. And I know that's that's sort of counterintuitive or contradictory,
3: Mm. but
2: I I love coming to football and I love the fact that someone is prepared to let me express myself out loud. Um, And, you know, that's that's absolutely terrific. So do it for the right reasons Mm. and do it because you enjoy it. Because if you don't enjoy it, you know, the best thing to do is to let someone else have a go. Who does?
3: Perfect, Peter. That's yeah, all fantastic to to hear those answers. You know, so insightful. And also, I just want to say congratulations on the SGA award that you. Uh, oh, thank you. Award that you received on Monday as well. So, yeah, I'll yeah. hand back to, to Andrew and Tom. But yeah, really, really good. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Glenn. Really good to talk. Appreciate that. Thank
1: you. Yeah, just to echo those words as well. Congratulations from both of us Absolutely. as well, and Peter. A so, couple of questions on our Twitter. That Tom and I are going to just rattle through. What the first one up, Peter is. How do you adjust your style, or do you adjust your style for co-coms?
2: Um, don't much, don't much. I mean, obviously, the ones that you work with frequently, uh, it's 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 a more of a kind of natural posh word coming up here, symbiosis, yeah. um, in the in the sense that you know uh, you you know when they're going to talk and they know when you're going to talk and it and it's um, it's a more natural conversation. If you work with someone new, then you've got to work at that a bit, and then. There might be a more forced element in 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 that i might have to turn and actually physically ask a question and, and prompt a conversation mm. so it takes a while for something naturally to occur but on the whole there there is a kind of grammar to television um and and when you work with a, a new co-commentator they say what do you want here and, and the without getting into too much minutiae that the answer is the replays belong to you. I do it when it's live and and when there's something to analyse, but, you know, mm. that's you. And, mm. and that kind of works as a rule of thumb to begin with.
0: We had this question a couple of times as well come in. Um, one game or moment that you wish you were commentating on? Um, one game or moment you wish you were commentating on
2: but just weren't behind the mic for? Um, now, that is uh, an interesting one. I... I would say fairly obviously, and sorry if this is a banal answer, but uh, England winning the World Cup—that's that would be everybody's dream, wouldn't it? Mm. To, to uh, when when I was in Russia and we reached the semi-final, honestly, I could I could sit in my hotel room and and start the process almost of blubbing at the prospect of what, what you'd say as as the World Cup was handed over. Um, the, the World Cup was won by England the year before I was born, so. I wasn't in the line for uh, the job that Ken Wilson did so well but um, that, that I think would be the ultimate dream yeah
1: wicked so we're just as we approach stoppage time on HTO football we're going to put you under some pressure Peter we've got our counter attack challenge that Tom and I are going to whiz through oh, Short, shortest possible answers if possible please
0: yes okay oh should I kick off <laughs> best game of football you've ever commented on um,
2: I would say Leeds Stuttgart European Cup 1992
1: 3. Mm. Who are your favorites for the Euros?
2: Um, England. Ooh.
0: Messi or Ronaldo?
1: <laughs> Messi. Favorite kickoff time to commentate on?
2: Three o'clock Saturday. <laughs> okay.
0: one, oh this is almost impossible and and you must frame this one in, one word to describe your job Privileged
1: Nice, and our classic on HTO, you've got three dinner guests Peter, come around for a takeaway, pizza and beers at yours, in the world of sport dead or alive
2: Okay, Um, I would have Alan Knott my first real sporting hero, Kenton England wicketkeeper I would have, um, oh gosh, I should have thought of this beforehand. You see, I go to cricket. I love my cricket very much. (laughs) Um, I think I would probably have to have Alf Ramsey and the third one. I know I, I know. as soon as we finish recording here, I know I'm gonna come up with them. Uh, so that's, that's really frustrating. Um, but do you know who I'd have? I'd have Norman Hunter, who I worked with in my yeah. early days at Radio Leeds and was the gentlest, gentlest, loveliest man who helped me so much. Mm. Um, and, and I'm just thinking now of all the commentators I'd have, I'd have Richie Beno, and I'd have David Coleman and I'd have Barry Davis uh and you know all of those guys i don't, think, well, the rule, I
1: don't, think, I don't think the they, rule of six has come in yet peter yeah <laughs> You're just stretching so, that
2: anyway okay i gave, gave you three before i broke the
1: rules yeah, yeah. it's more than fine more than fine yeah so as the the board has gone up to stoppage time, have got four minutes of added time and um, i see i'm trying to commentate on the toilet, it's quite <laughs> yeah, it's cool good. um so we've 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 one of our enjoyable competitions we've just been running lately um and we've asked our followers to sort of Comment with their name on one of our posts and uh, Peter is going to read out his HGO Galactico 11 for us, live on the pod. Um, So, uh, yeah, tune in, guys.
2: Okay, well, uh, the HGO boss has had some major, major decisions to make today. (laughs) Not sure about availability. I don't know if this would be the team he would have chosen under normal circumstances, but this is what he's had to go with. In goal, Paul Flannery. Gone with the back four today, interestingly. At right back, Daniel Roots, Chris Kelly on the left, with Chris Tuolo and Adami between them. Three in midfield, Oli Adania is going to sit, Keitel Frankel ahead of him, and Oli Spencer. Right side of the striker, Erson Cain on the left, Med Warlock, and seeking the goals up top, Anthony Abbott.
0: That was absolutely spectacular. Uh, I think they'll make their days so we really appreciate that. You've obviously made ours today. Um, Andrew and I really appreciate you jumping on. Glenn does as well. It's just been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, brilliant. Been
2: Terrific to talk to you fellas. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much.
0: Not at all. Enjoy the game today as well.
2: Hope it's a good one. Cheers chaps.
0: Absolute pleasure though, wasn't it, that one? You know, to speak to Peter. You know, when I first tuned in, um, it's really funny because the first two or three sentences, even before we were rolling with the recording, It's just really funny because I was like, look, that's the voice from the telly. That's the voice that's on Mm. my football matches. Mm. Um, Just so synonymous with obviously watching football down the years. Um, Brilliant stuff.
1: Yeah, football in royalty for sure. Um, And just like you said as well, it's flashbacks, like you said, with the Subutio and the scale electrics and stuff. I think that's why we do this pod as well, isn't it? A lot of nostalgia it brings back.
0: Yeah, completely. And I, I think he's right, actually. It hadn't really occurred to me, but like, actually, when you're growing up to sport, you know, if you're in your back garden playing football, you know, you 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 commentate to yourself, didn't you? Mm. Like when you were like five, six, seven, like you know, growing in your garden, you like you do say, "Oh, balls put through from like you know, you know, Dennis Bergkamp and Tom's through on goal, Tom scored." And you know, you just do still do, it do that you... as a grown man, you? <laughs> mm. but you definitely do it, and it's um, mm. you know, yeah, and he's obviously just gone and made what a career out of it. it must be absolutely privilege to sit there and watch it. What is really great for me is how humble so many of our guests are. They kind of they're so keen to stress that the action and the stars of what's going on the pitch. Mm. they are just commentating around it or they're just filming it or they're just the manager or the physio and they you know it's brilliant it's really good stuff
1: it is strange though isn't it because when you when you're when you're at a live event or when you're at home watching on the telly and you get that commentary they are so heavily involved in the whole experience as a Mm. viewer though aren't they you know it's yeah
0: and, and don't get me wrong nothing 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 beats Mm. going to the match alive the live match is the most important thing i love going to the football i really miss it in the last year or so with covid but we can't escape for the fact that more people watch arsenal or whoever else on telly than can fit in the ground that's just obvious you know Mm. so the stadium only holds sixty thousand people and so actually the viewing experience for so many millions of people is actually through the television Mm. you know if you're commentating on world cup games that's games being broadcast to literally millions and millions billions of people across the planet and so actually although he's very humbly saying look at the stars the actions are on the pitch and he's right you can't ever sort of shy away from the fact that actually the, the experience that the vast majority of football fans around the world get is actually through their television and therefore peter and all the fantastic commentators are a massive part of that um just as you guys listening are a massive part of hto so thank you very much again we are as ever on all of our socials at hto football twitter predominantly facebook youtube instagram give us a like give us a subscribe tell your friends every lesson helps appreciate it and tune in soon take care guys